Well, hello and welcome to the Hammer and Tulip podcast. This is me, Graham Phillips, and welcome to you, Mr. Gareth Dix. Hey, how you doing? Doing well, thank you very much, my friend. Uh, looking forward to our conversation this evening. It's It's been a few weeks now since we last recorded an episode. And uh, tonight's episode is kind of a follow-on from the discussion we were having last time out, which was, does your church preach the gospel? And we have been speaking since then and just talking about that question of, does your church actually preach the gospel? Well, how does that inform the way that people decide on what church they should go to, you know? And and why is it that so many Christians will consistently attend and, and plug into churches that they know doesn't don't preach the gospel? Um you know what, what? What's that about? And and why is it seemingly so hard to find churches that genuinely preach the gospel, that are conscious and mindful of truth, but also evangelical? They want to get out there and preach the gospel, and they want to see the spirit move. Why is it so hard to find churches like that? So our our title today is provocatively: Where are all the churches? Where are the, all the true churches of Jesus yeah. Christ in our times, you know? And so we want to talk about this and we are looking forward to kind of, I think, trying to kind of like pull on the kind of lineage of time a little bit and do some history this evening um, to kind of find out how it is that we arrived at this place. You know, how is it that we arrived here? Um, because this particular time in church history it, it's it doesn't happened in a vacuum has it there are reasons no not at all in history as to why we have you know arrived at this place um there are reasons why uh, christians these days choose the churches that they choose based not necessarily on truth but on other things on other factors like emotion and how does it make me feel and is the community good there and you know do i leave feeling uplifted and and things like that the, the, those weren't always the criteria by which people chose what fellowship to be a part of but now they clearly very much are and so why is it that we've arrived at this place why have we arrived in the 21st century with such a scarcity of true biblical gospel churches how has this happened and 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 i don't think it's alarmist to say this and i think many people listening might be thinking good grief you know you, these guys just think they're the only orthodox people left alive well, of course we don't of course <laughs> we don't not. and you know we we too would would admit that we are not 100 percent correct in all of our thinking and doctrine and theology no. we're on a journey with that but what we're saying is that there is a, a clear lack of churches that honor the word of god in their corporate gathering yeah. they don't preach verse by verse they're not exposing their congregations regularly to true biblical preaching there's very little exegesis going on from the pulpit um, there's very little spirit-filled preaching as martin lloyd jones said what is preaching well it's logic on fire logic under yeah. the fire of the holy ghost there's very little of that going on from the pulpits the church seems to be in a little bit of a kind of malaise concerned with uh, fighting social battles um, or standing for political causes or simply just doing good works um, lots of social action um, lots of 
good things being done but is the gospel being preached you know where are the pastors out on the streets preaching um we just see a real scarcity of churches like that and why is that how has that happened you know and so many we know of in this time particularly in the charismatic church of which we are a part so many are calling out to god for revival aren't they they're they're yeah. genuinely believing that god is going to send this kind of end time revival that has been prophesied but literally you look out and you think well where on earth you, like how on earth is that going to happen in this current spiritual climate where you know there's so little gospel preaching going on there's so little praying going on how is it god's going to send a revival and it seems to be that people think that that's going to happen because we've got nice shiny buildings <laughs> yeah and i think one of the things that i've noticed as well is and it's more recently the thing i keep people hearing people saying is i've been to church today i just don't feel fed i don't feel like i've been i've been fed spiritually and, and and it's not just like it's a one-off. It's like I go to, I, you know, people saying I've been to church. I'm just not feeling it. And it's not that I'm, I'm looking to go there and, can, and be a consumer. I actually want to meet with God. And yet I come away feeling flat. I come away feeling, you know, what was that all about? I mean, I, I know this myself. I've found there have been times where I go into a church and, you know, literally, and it sounds awful, but it's true. I'd be like, I've basically gone into a church building. I've sat down for a bit and then I've got up and gone home. <laughs> I'm just like, what was that all about? I, I've not heard any kind of prayer of real intercession and prayer. And I haven't heard spirit led kind of worship. I haven't heard preaching that's made me feel convicted or encouraged or just really praise God. The spirit is here today. And there's this quote I found from the Dutch theologian Wilhelmus Brekel, which I I really love because I think he articulates this really well. He says, they who belong to the true church ought to rejoice, exclaiming, Christ is here. For Christ only dwells in the true church. Only there by his spirit is he engaged in the work of conversion, consolation and sanctification. In other words, the Holy Spirit is only found in a faithful church. Mm. And then he goes on to say, Therefore, one must search the word of God to discern which congregation constitutes the church. I repeat, search the word for the veracity of God's word is not determined by the church, even though she preserves, protects and proclaims the word entrusted to her. And this is called the pillar and ground of the truth. I love that. The pillar and the ground of the truth. By the way, that's that's um, Wilhelmus uh, Brekel from his his systematic theology called the Christian's Reasonable Service, and that's in Volume Two on on the Church. But to me, that just gets the heart of why is it when I go to church, I don't feel like I've really entered into the presence of God. I don't feel like I've met with Him through His Word and through the worship and the prayer. I feel like I've just sat in a building, got up and walked out again. Lots of people are feeling like this. I yeah. know that because I know I do, and it's because we're not actually really being faithful to God to his word and and to doctrine and uh, worship and and prayer that is that is uh honoring to God and and a, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church we it's like the lampstand's been removed and we were having too much fun to even notice yeah well I think that's it you said in that quote you know um essentially that the Holy Spirit 
is wherever Christ is proclaimed something yeah, along absolutely. those lines and I think you know when when Christ ceases to be the focal point of worship um, wh- you know, whether that's sung worship or whether that's you know our our sincerity in the sacraments or whether that's the preaching of the word when when Christ ceases to be the the focal point of those things the the object of our worship and of course trinitarian the father and the holy spirit too but particularly when christ is forgotten <laughs> in the preaching yeah um well how can the holy spirit be there how can the holy spirit be there because the holy spirit is there to lead us into all truth the holy spirit is there to bear witness to the victory of christ isn't he and so when christ isn't portrayed clearly to the saints then how is the holy spirit there and um i think that in the lack of the true presence of god being there uh, because we're not exalting christ as we should um there there have been many attempts to generate a sort of pseudo presence of god whether that be through you know oratory you know very good public speaking uh, impassioned public speaking whether that be through um manifestations um spiritual encounters uh passionate worship lighting sound all sorts of things that basically operate as a substitute for the real presence of God because the true word isn't being preached. And so I I think that's kind of, uh, that's what sticks out to me is wherever, wherever we kind of like substitute Jesus out or make Jesus into the kind of like the footnote in our sermon. Well, you know, guys, isn't it great? We're here today. We're here to, you know, just be, powerful believers in these times impacting our community and just uh you know making a change on a global scale all of your influences you know you're just you're just doing the things for god and you know you're enabled to do that because of what jesus has done you see how jesus is the footnote there he's he's just an enabler to help you live your best life now and so when that happens who's actually being exalted who's actually um, being glorified well it, it's not christ christ has become a footnote in that preach and you are the one who is the subject of the preach um not jesus and so yeah i think that's i think that's had a massive impact um on people's expectations for what church is actually supposed to be and when i say church i'm talking about the the corporate gathering it's, it's had a massive effect because if you if you go to church for, for like 10 years and all you get is essentially a Christless sermon yeah uh, every week something that's kind of there to build you up and encourage you and you know help you walk out the door sing, saying you know isn't everything wonderful and aren't I blessed then uh, but you've not really heard about Christ the gospel you've not been shown how to get saved then um, you know your expectation for what church is about is going to be pretty pitiful really <laughs> yeah no definitely. and not life changing not like not truly life-changing um yeah and i think this hasn't happened this hasn't happened rapidly i think it's the state we're in in the nation right now and in the uk it in some ways to me just feels so cold and so it feels quite scary if i'm honest when i look it's it's ichabod comes to mind isn't it the glory has departed the glory has departed it really worries me when i look out because 
I'm sure that there are more faithful revival churches out there than I know of. I'm sure there are. Um, but when I look out there, I am, I, I have to, <laughs> I have to hold myself back from feeling discouraged. Oh, by, it is by it. really upsetting. It really is. You, you've got, you know, charismatic churches that have just gone off the reservation, if I'm honest, just lost the plot. And now it's not about, you know, Solideo Gloria preaching to the glory yeah. of God and, you know, seeing the spirit of God just move in power. It's not about that anymore. It's about building empires, which is just so ironic considering a lot of these charismatic yeah. churches came out of the, the house church movement of the 70s where it was all against that stuff, you know, an yeah. empire building and buildings and facilities. And it was all about getting back to basics. And now... The, the same leaders who left the established church in the 70s are building their own empires and buildings and believing that that's somehow revival. So it's it's a sad circle that it's turned. And a lot of these guys have, you know, they've jettisoned doctrine. It's like rank kind of... It's not even Arminianism, like, in, in the sense that we know it of. It, it, it's literally like Pelagianism, you know, where yeah. just man is, no, it's gone man to that is point, glorified. Man is lifted up as this, like, kind of... The you know the pre kind of fall man almost <laughs> and like, like I mean I think if we if we look back if you go back to some of our other podcasts you'll see that we did a podcast on Charles Finney mm. and that's kind of along the lines of what you're saying that whilst you know a, a lot of people would say you know say Charles Finney led these great revivals yeah on the on the surface but when you actually get deep down and look at what he was teaching oh, he denied original theology sin. he denied yeah. original sin he, he denied justification by faith denied the atonement denied the atonement you know he's basically a humanist basically yeah. a humanist and uh definitely and a how much and how much of modern the modern church has its kind of origins and roots in where what charles Finney well, was exactly, doing in those you, times you lose you, you sense that there's no understanding of grace in these churches there's no understanding of our need for forgiveness and you know on our abject sinfulness and our essentially like our helplessness before yeah. the face of a holy god and our absolute reliance upon him for for anything and so there's that lack of awareness of just how incredible God's love is. You know, they, they believe that they're churches that believe in God's love, right? Yeah. But but actually, when you get down to it, that they essentially think that they could do all of this on their own. They don't need God, you know? No, and, no um, it's tragic. And it is tragic. And so I look at the charismatic church and I, and I think, good Lord, you know, help us, Lord, send revival, send, send reformation. But then equally, you look at churches that do have a handle on the truth and that are preaching verse by verse and that the teaching seems to be solid. And then so many of them are just, bless them are just really dry and and uh you know and i think quite often perhaps they feel a little bit embattled and 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 they you know that they're, they're not <laughs> you look at it and you just kind of like they it almost looks like they're kind of shutting up the doors and saying right that's it it's let's just wait for the rapture or whatever eschatology yeah. it is that they have yeah, you know it's kind yeah. of like get us out of here lord and um you know there's so many churches like that where I say so many, um, that's not true. But in every city, there'll be one, you yeah. know, where, where there's real faithful ministry going on, but no one shows up, you know, and there's there's no kind of street outreach. There's no kind of like, you don't sense there's an urgency in those ministries to reach the lost. And so I think that is also a travesty. That's something that discourages me is that, 
you know that on both sides of it we seem to be seeing um yeah we just seem to be seeing these kind of discouraging things i guess and i, yeah, I know it's, I, I, think, I don't want to moan because at the same time like i'm a massive believer in in the church is still god's plan like it's still god's plan to you know reach the lost through his church and so i love the church and you know i don't think that we should be aiming for perfect church i don't think that there are, you know i'm a pastor of a church i know my church isn't isn't perfect um the church that i'm shepherding in but uh at the same time you know I, I think that we can and should be calling for better and and be seeking the lord for revival and reformation in these churches and i think also it's more than just calling out on god isn't it it's more than just kind of saying yeah. well we'll pray about it actually we need to be doing something you know and i you know if you listen to this podcast at all you'll know that hammer and tulip the name of the podcast is is a is is a doffing of the cap to the reformation the hammer with which Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg and the tulip of uh, Calvinism. And so what did the reformers do? Well, they didn't just say, well, look, guys, there's lots of heresy uh, in the Catholic Church. You know, this is actually an abomination to the Lord. Um, What should we do about it? Well, well, let's just pray, shall we? I'm sure they did pray, but they didn't stop there. And that, to me, I think is the key is that, you know, unless we and other good christians whether leaders in the church or not actually say look enough is enough something needs to be done um i, I just think nothing will happen you know um so no, that, i think you're right yeah and I, and I think that that's it is depressing when you look at it but as i say we haven't arrived here out of the blue uh, there's actually been a long and winding road to to kind of um to quote a Beatles song that's led here and it goes a long long way back it doesn't it and I think you could look at key sort of roots along sorry key moments along that road to where we are today and you can trace it back to you know like we've mentioned the the, the kind of house church movement of the 70s which was a a rejection of the kind of stiff you know even dead evangelicalism of the of the 50s and 60s and you know my parents were a part of that and and i i I praise you had you had conservatism and then you had liberalism but there was no you know within that it was very very conservative but very liberal but no actual holy spirit no holy spirit no no real i wouldn't say say no holy spirit but no understanding of the gifts for today yeah you know no praying in tongues and all those things and so there's people in the 70s they were pioneers they took a risk and were often disfellowshipped from those churches and so that was a big sort of moment on the route you, you look back a bit further and you've got the kind of the rise of evangelicalism you've you've got the kind of you know martin lloyd jones um coming out in the kind of like the 30s and the 40s and coming to london and westminster chapel and and preaching verse by verse in a way that just hadn't yeah. been seen since the days of spurgeon you've got amazing you know what an amazing ministry that was and i would encourage you if you if you don't listen to lloyd jones go and check out um his archives you, you can search um the mlj trust on, on on any podcasting app and listen to his sermons encourage you to do it you know that was another big shift um there was the rise of billy graham and his ministry uh, you know 1949 was the first time billy graham came to the uk and founded you for christ and that kind of again was a was a shift towards a kind of unity movement around yep. a very simplified skinny down gospel um to try and bring the kind of factions of protestantism together um that's another big moment but but when you go back further 
and you look back to the days of Spurgeon, you know, the 1800s, um, you can see something happening there uh, in his life at the end of his ministry that I think really does speak to the place that we're at today. And I know that the roots of this go back even further than Spurgeon's time, but Spurgeon's controversy at the end of his ministry life I think is kind of prophetic of where we're at in these times as well definitely it really is yeah and so I think we want to just just sort of speak a little bit to that because it was called people call it now don't they the downgrade controversy Um, and what you know what was essentially Spurgeon what was he standing against in that downgrade controversy well, around that time, there are a number of people in the Baptist Union um, and there were second order issues, that, uh, doctrine issues that, that were being dis- disagreed on, uh, particularly the kind of Arminianism at the time. But Spurgeon, he wasn't too upset about, you know, the sovereignty of God in salvation sort of dispute. That was second order. And that was something which, you know, he was kind of happy to debate. Mm. But it was when those first order issues, and by the way, if you want to go and listen to our podcast on theological triage, just to make sense of how we order theologies and and what matters. But these were first order doctrines that the Baptist Union at that time were starting to give way on. And, And four of the key ones were denying the infallibility of scripture which is absolutely what we you know you, you you i mean the drift that's huge i mean that's first order stuff yeah you, you're just denying that this is you know really infallible word of god they were denying the centrality and the necessity of, of substitutionary atonement so you know now the gospel's basically gone so we're not teaching that the, the only way you can be saved is believing in christ dying as a substitute for sin so just so not, to break that down substitutionary atonement we've talked about this before on the podcast but if you're here for the first time and you, you you're thinking what what's that what's that about um what's when we say psa or P, penal substitutionary atonement that's a view of the atonement isn't it um that that we believe is biblical um there are different views of the atonement, aren't there, Gareth? Yeah, I mean, there's 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 a number of different views. Like you've got ransom theology, and as you, you know, you've got the exemplar that Christ shows His love for us. You know, that, that that there's Christus Victor, uh, that that we have the victory over sin and death. But the main one, as we read in Scripture, is substitute Christ dies in our place on the cross punished for our sin so that we can be forgiven he bears the wrath of god in our place he's punished in our place he is our substitute of i often like to refer to barabbas is a great picture of that the the guilty murderer matt walks free Mm. and and the sinless son of god walks to take his place that is just a beautiful picture of the gospel we are you and i we are barabbas and and to me when you start reading the bible over it sorry gareth i I mean that is that's absolutely powerful when we identify ourselves as Barabbas <laughs> that's it isn't it because we're the ones who deserved that we're the we are the sinners um we are the ones who deserved what Christ took um and so I think that's it's a key thing but I, I think what's interesting is that um reading the bible through has been a practice of mine for the last sort of 10 years reading the bible through as often as I can and it tends to be once a year um but you know it sort of slips if i'm honest Uh, but anyway it's meant that i've you know through that practice i've really been helped to see kind of themes through scripture and for me penal substitutionary atonement christ 
dying for my sins, taking my sins upon him and bearing the wrath of God that was due to me for my sins on the cross is something that is abundantly clear, not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament as well. And so what really interests me is that you don't ever see anybody denying exemplar you don't any, ever see no. anybody saying oh we just hate christus victor we need to just get rid of that toxic view of the atonement no but the one that everybody seems to bulk about is the one that's the clearest in scripture which is substitutionary atonement and try so, reading isaiah 53 and denying <laughs> yeah, it exactly exactly the suffering servant and um that's what's always interested me and it it does seem to be uh, so that was something that Spur Spurgeon was battling with in his day, wasn't it? In the yeah. Baptist Union, and that so that was the key one. I mean, it is, and it's the same today. So having battled with battling with the, uh, the, the denying the infallibility of Scripture, the necessity of substitutionary atonement. Thirdly, also that they were at that time denying the existence and eternity of hell. And obviously that leads on to, fourthly, teaching universalism. Universalism is the idea that everybody goes to heaven, regardless of whether they believe or not. Yeah. And, and these are the kind of things, to be honest with you, these are the kind of things we've seen across the board in churches now, particularly in the Church of England. All these, four of these have been, you know, been an issue for a long time. But, you know, this is where, I mean, I've got here um, a word concerning the downgrade. This was written by Spurgeon uh, and this is in the August 1887 edition of the Sword and Trowel. This is when he first really went to war regarding the downgrade. And I'm just going to read a couple of quotes. And one particular quote that jumped out to me is it says, he says, A new religion has been initiated, which is no more Christianity than chalk is cheese. And this religion, being destitute of moral honesty, palms itself off as the old faith with slight improvements. And on this plea usurps pulpits which were erected for gospel preaching. The atonement is scouted, as we've just mentioned. The inspiration of scripture is derided. The Holy Spirit is degraded into an influence. The punishment of sin is turned into fiction and the resurrection into a myth. And yet these enemies of our faith expect us to call them brethren and maintain a confederacy with them. Mm. Now, bearing in mind that Spurgeon's church, he had at any one time usually had about 6,000 people on a Sunday. In fact, there came a point where he had around 10,000 people worshipping in his church. Like there, this, this, this was a prolific minister leading so many people to faith. You only have to read some of his sermons now to see how powerful. Oh, man. I would say, week. Apart, apart from George Whitfield, he's, I'd say he's the greatest preacher uh, that, that certainly this nation's ever produced. Oh, yeah. And he goes on, he goes on to say another quote. He says, the fact is, that many would like to unite church and stage, cards and, and prayer, dancing as sacraments. I mean, that's back then in Victorian times. I mean, how relevant is that now? Entertainment, If yeah. Entertainment. If we are powerless to stem this torrent, we can at least warn men of its existence and entreat them to keep out of it. Oh, and this is the thing that's heartbreaking. When the, whole, when the old faith is gone and enthusiasm for the gospel is extinct, it is no wonder that people seek something else in the way of delight. Lacking bread, they feed on ashes. Rejecting the way of the Lord, they run greedily in the path of folly. A warning from 1887. A warning from history, yeah. And now people at the time 
it would be fair to say people in the Baptist Union looked unfavourably upon Spurgeon for this, didn't they? And when he raised oh, yeah. his concerns, I believe he was voted down. You know, his concerns he was. was vote. They were voted down unanimously in a landslide. You know, as as him being essentially just being a, a bit divisive and a bit mean-spirited and making a bit of a hullabaloo, a hullabaloo about nothing, uh, he was voted down. Now, at the time, yeah, he was seen as a bit of a, a, a grump, you know, a bit of a grumpy, grumpy, gr- grumpy so-and-so. <laughs> and, um, yeah, but in, imagine in, in the kind of like, like you know, 120 years since that, now there are there's maybe only one church in all of London I think that gets numbers anywhere near what Spurgeon's church used to get right and that's not all in one go and back in his day there were many ministries in the city of London that would be reaching yeah. many hundreds and thousands there were ministries in cities all across England Wales Scotland and Ireland that were that were reaching the hundreds and thousands every Sunday in the 120 years that have passed since then the spiritual kind of culture of this nation has has completely fallen away hasn't it like yeah it's scary to watch church attendance has fallen through the floor and all the time churches have pandered to try and give the people what they think that they want right so that we've gone down this avenue of like let's try and entertain let's try and be more relevant um and actually what's happened has oh yeah also let's dumb down our theology a little bit right let's yeah let's be careful we don't need to talk about things like election and sovereignty because that's actually just going to spook the new believers let's just keep it really basic uh let's tippy toe around let's make it entertaining let's let's let people leave with a really positive feeling and actually what's happened is people have stopped coming it hasn't yeah. it hasn't brought the crowds in it's done the reverse and spurgeon yeah, has been proven right Absolutely proven right. And, and the, the crazy thing about it is that people don't realise that if you're not actually preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit isn't going to be there. And what, what you're doing is it's really just an empty form of religion. The only people that you're going to attract are people with a religious spirit. Mm. But you're not actually going to attract true Christians, uh, you know, apart from maybe a few might hang around for some strange reason, but generally you're not going to attract true Christians and you're not going to attract people who are lost, who are actually looking for the truth. Because the Holy Spirit is going to draw people into a church that's faithful and into a ministry that's faithful. Mm. But all the time you've got churches that that are either either just liberal or that, you know, they're just giving into pragmatism they're not preaching the gospel and this is one of the things it's not just as we've said before in this podcast it's not just what is said but is it is what is not said yeah where the whole counsel of god is not being taught and i think this is what's scary in spurgeon's day is to see how this is a minister who god used greatly and i think really tragically this was actually what contributed to his death in the end because he he was ejected or he left i think he left voluntarily left the the baptist union because of this he had to leave Mm. and then uh, i don't know how many years it was it was only a small number of years i think before he died soon relatively soon after that it was tragic and i think his wife susanna spurgeon maybe wrote about it and as so that basically finished him off. Heart, yeah, 
Yeah, it did. And he was the one and that what was a sad way as, to go. As, as divisive. And that's the sad thing, isn't it? That yeah. it feels like in these days, again, you, you're viewed like an absolute nutcase for saying these sorts of things. You know, yeah. like, you know, hello, why aren't we talking about these truths that are so clear in scripture? Why aren't we yelling them from the rooftops? Like, why aren't we out on the streets preaching the gospel? Like, these are the last days that we're living in. And instead, we're trying to huddle people into a building to get entertained on a Sunday, you know. Um, like, I read this. Uh, it's a book by Todd Brenneman. I don't know that Todd Brenneman is a Christian, but it's essentially, uh, it, I think it's a dissertation that he wrote on the triumph of sentimentality in contemporary American evangelicalism. And uh, there's a quote here that I think well sums up where we're at, really. Um, it says this quote the evangelical reliance on emotion means that evangelicals can be shaped by the emotional currents of the time or of a particular charismatic individual this would suggest why evangelicalism in recent decades has evidenced such cults of personality magnetic leaders can manipulate the emotions of congregants sometimes to their detriment and this to me end quote sorry is endemic in the charismatic church is that Spurgeon was right is when you when you jettison true Christian doctrine you have to fill that void with something else yeah you have to you've got to fill that void with something else and what it's been filled with essentially is a lot of entertainment and yep. many like I say lots of kind of like gimmicks and the, the space has been filled rather than the space being filled by truth it's been filled by the visions and the rantings of kind of narcissistic individuals who really are utilizing that pulpit to feed their own ego in the charismatic church and are essentially grooming whole communities of people and it's it's devastating you like like you said earlier, I know people that will say to me, I just don't feel I'm getting fed because they're not. They're sheep. They're supposed no. to feed off the word of God and they're not being given it. They're being given instead, like I said, um, just kind of random dreams and visions that this particular kind of pastor, prophet, apostle, whatever they want to call themselves, is giving. And I think that that has happened since Spurgeon said. I think there's no way you could deny that. Um, and we've got to we've got to look so i think we now have to as pastors look to try and swim against the tide and i think for many christians in these times kind of post covid we, we've got to now look to, to kind of address this situation in the church um and get back to a place where we are honoring christ and we are honoring god in our gatherings and we're not shirking doctrine because it's important because the holy spirit he is going to come and he is going to be wherever the truth of god and the truth of christ is preached he's not going to be where he's not and so well, i think that's 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 a key thing that you've mentioned there that, that, that where the truth of god is uh, christ is being proclaimed and i think it might be helpful just to go um as we think about the the downgrade issue and think about how the downgrade in the modern church because that's happened 
you know that that's happened for over over several decades. In fact, we could go back to the mid twentieth century and look at the. Obviously, we had the post enlightenment of the eighteenth century and this rational divinity, the idea that human reason was capable of establishing all that was necessary to know about Christianity about the need of spiritual revelation. So, from the eighteenth century, there was this despiritualizing Christianity, which, of course, we know that regeneration comes how by the the Holy Spirit yeah. bringing about regeneration. So, straight away, you've removed moved uh, the Holy Spirit's work in Christianity. But then there's the postmodern liberalism of the late 19th to mid 20th century. And this is where you had you had this worldview that rejected the idea of absolute truth and objective attempts to define reality. So within the established church now, so we're talking like in the in the mid 20th century now, this this liberalism um, led to a liberal and critical approach to interpreting the Bible. Mm. So, you know, for example, we don't want to say, well, if we say that that, uh, that Moses was there when the, when the Red Sea, God parted the Red Sea and Moses and the Israelites walked through it, um, a rational person will say, well, that's physically impossible. So we're just going to have to say the tide's out, for example. You know, it, so, yeah. Oh, he didn't cross yeah, the so, sea. He, cr- he crossed... Uh, you know, a kind of essentially kind of a, a seasonal puddle, a big puddle. Um, yeah. So it has oh, and to, the flood, the flood wasn't global. No, no, no. It was. And it's it was no, no, not at all. Local um, flood, and, and Jesus can't have actually been, you know, fully dead because it would be impossible for him to raise from the dead. So swoon theory and all those kinds of well, things. I've, I've read just, even one that was uh, a professor of religion in the states talking about Jesus walking on water, and he said, "Oh, um, you know, actually, it's a very unusual occurrence, but at that particular time on the Sea of." Galilee, you can occasionally get the bit of odd floating ice, and maybe Jesus was floating on a mini iceberg. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's like it's hysterical, isn't it? Because it's just like so horrendous. But I mean, that's people will go to those lengths, won't they? And and so you had this, and this was not unusual in the church, particularly in the 20th century and, and, and in the more liberal churches where the liberalism was academic. And so we had a lot of biblical scholars who were, I mean, you know, a classic example would be, you know, writing on the book of Daniel. Yeah. And uh, one particular scholar, Golden Gay, actually takes uh, like a, like a approach that, that, that the prophecies that are written weren't actually written ahead. They were actually written, you know, after and things like this. Oh, yeah. And the other one and, being and this, that like half of Isaiah was written kind of like pre-exilic and half was written post-exilic and things like that yeah to make sense of the the cyrus references this is why you get like liberal biblical scholars because you have to make the 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 biblical interpretation match up with um with rationalism so this was huge in the church like this wasn't just like from the pulpit but there was a liberalism that was in the system that was in fact my parents moved churches because they could see this kind of liberalism coming in um with, with in terms of you know some of the scholarly things that were being said from the pulpit, which were kind of quite liberal. And they thought, this is going liberal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a big deal. And so this liberalism also was, uh, which led to a critical approach to interpreting the Bible. This liberalism was also rooted in naturalism. So that's, in essence, the denial of any creative power of God. Yeah. And this intellectual liberalism got into the Western church in the last century. And then and we see it undermines the gospel with this alternative Christianity that appealed to the academic landscape, as we've already said. So that's one thing. In the 20th century, we've got this postmodern liberalism. But now today... That feels a long way away now, doesn't it? it yeah, it's definitely. not so much 
it's not so much academic liberalism now. No. Nowadays, our opposition is is much less intellectual, and it's a moral lib- um, liberalism that is often defined as expressive individualism. Yeah, it's a carnality, and this isn't is, it? Yeah, carnality. This is where we are. In fact, a really good book to read on that is the rise and the, the rise and triumph of modern self Truman, uh, by Carl Truman. Yeah, yeah. And he's just he's just released a, a shortened version of it called Strange New World. Yeah. But this is this is a you know quite a depressing read, but really gets the heart of this kind of expressive individualism. And so this is all about the individual's journey of self discovery, driven by their own wants and desires. And that's where we see the sexual revolution that has gone so far now as to redefine gender and marriage and so this is where we've seen as we've also covered in this podcast progressive Christianity that one's worth listening to as well if you haven't heard it already yeah and what progressive Christianity wants to do is it wants to take all of the previous postmodern liberalism of the last century a pluralistic worldview so we're saying that well Christianity isn't the only way you've got other religions as well what about them don't upset them and then the expressive individualism, which we see with the morality in our time, the carnality, and wanted to reinvent a Christianity that is compatible with them all. So we find ourselves now where, if you like, churches are being pushed along this, 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 and, and on, on just to throw into the mix as well, the political virtue signaling as well. Yeah. We see a lot of that, don't we? All Everywhere. of the political, um, the social gospel. Yeah. Um, and this kind of wanting to see, be seen to jump on whatever the perceived um, kind of social injustice don't you is. Think, the church needs to run alongside it. Don't you think a part of this as well is is essentially many in the church have got such a fear of being left behind by culture. They have got such a fear of being seen to be idiotic or silly or backwards and so there's just and especially you know high up in establishment churches like the church of england you know um the methodist church for example there's such a fear of being rejected that they've gone quiet on things that they they worry might kind of poke the beast you know, of that yeah. kind of like, like you said, that kind of individualism that is rife everywhere in culture, uh, and especially in the Church of England, because I guess you know, yeah, to a degree that, that just yeah, it's the national church. You know, if if something happens in a community, then the vicar gets interviewed, doesn't he? He's got to give a viewpoint, and so there's this kind of sense in the Church of England of like, well, you know, I must almost be like an MP, or like a representative of my community, and. You know, I don't want to poke the beast and sort of hold particular positions. That I mean, bishops are in dreadful pressure yeah. to, to be seen to just say the pol- right political thing. Yeah, and they are. And, they're, and that's they're, on, they're put yeah. under pressure to say the right thing, aren't they? And uh, Definitely. So even if there are ministers who quietly believe truthful biblical things, they don't speak up about them either for fear of angering the mob which is a very a very real thing in twitter and that is only going to get worse um you know you get hounded and doxxed and attacked and all sorts of dreadful things which you know it, people say or oh, sticks and stones may break my bones but word will never as such nonsense you know this stuff is yeah. really destructive and so there's a fear of 
you know, raising the hackles of the mob and them coming after you. And then equally, I, I think there's such a pressure on ministers now to get bums on seats that they worry, you know, if I come on strong with these teachings of the Bible, like, you know, the global flood, like, you know, six-day creationism, um, like, it, yeah. you know, like these things of, um, of sin, you know, and the sovereignty of God. If I come on strong with these things, um, maybe they think on a, in a practical sense, well, isn't that going to just kind of jeopardize my ministry? Like I'm kind of, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm limiting myself there and I, I don't want to do that. And, and I think there's just a resistance among many leaders in the church to become a remnant. And I, and I just, right the way through scripture, you know, God uses the few, doesn't he? He uses the few. Yeah, he does. Uh, and, and he's not, he's not necessarily looking for the masses he's looking for the few and so i i just think there's a contradiction there that we're going to have to work through um in the next kind of 20 years is like are we going to continue to try and pander to whatever the kind of the populist left is saying or actually are we going to grow a backbone and are we going to start teaching what the bible teaches irrespective of whether it earns us a Twitter hate mob or whether it means that you know we don't get invited into the local secondary school to talk anymore like are we gonna yeah like what are we gonna do you know what what, yeah. what price are we willing to pay to be faithful and I think that's that's the key question for me is that a lot of it comes down to just these individuals it's pressure on individuals to uh save face and they think they're doing it for the right reasons. You know, it's, it's one of the big reasons, Gareth, and I've, I've said this before, it's one of the big reasons why you don't see people in the Church of England or other big denominations speaking out about abortion. No. Right? Because Even though they, it's blatantly murder, they're not going to say it from the pulpit. Yeah, I yeah, have. We, we know and, the facts. You know, <laughs> we're to mixed results. But we, all know, we all know what's going on, right? Let's yeah. not pretend we don't know what's going on. We're turning a blind eye to it because it's a battle we don't want to fight, right? And so I think that 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 is for me is one of the big issues of these days is just to sort of stand up flat-footed and preach the truth of the bible as being authoritative whatever the bible treats whether it be history whether it be matters of faith whether it be matters of doctrine of understanding of god of understanding of man it does so infallibly and inerrantly to stand up and say those things these days is going to lose you friends in the world <laughs> and i yeah, just don't I'm know that there are many men of god out there who are prepared to do that these days and yeah, so I yeah i think listen i I'll finish up with my rant in a second, but I remember hearing even Brother Yun, the Chinese Christian, saying at the start of this year, he said, this year is going to be a year of Isaiah, I believe it was Isaiah 22, where we're going to see false stewards kicked out of the ministry because wow yeah, wow flicked literally flicked out into a foreign land outside of their ministry posts because they've not been stewarding the things of god properly and god instead is going to set up faithful ministers and i just think 
you know, maybe this is the it's season we're entering. It's, it isn't. It's, yeah. it's a startling word. And he even said to the, the ministers that were there gathered as a warning, he said, listen, you know, many of you have presided over large ministries, building projects and church growth strategies that have worked and have borne fruit. He said, but listen, it's not about that now. We're in a new season where faithfulness is required. And unless you're willing to repent of what you've done and become faithful in ministry, God is going to strip your ministry from you and put somebody faithful in your place. And I think maybe, you know, this is the kind of place it's coming to because culture's only moving in one direction isn't it gareth this individualism no, is just getting right. crazier and crazier and crazier and we're beginning to just have to kind of ignore reason and science you know to just go along with whatever madness is popular and so this isn't going to go it, it's not going to suddenly change in culture aside from a you know a, a move of god and so i do think it's coming to a crunch point yeah absolutely. i mean absolutely really agree with that brilliantly put as well and i kind of want to just pick up on what you're saying there about about the remnant because i think this is something i don't know about you but this is something that i really felt came out around covid where i think covid really exposed the cracks didn't it i think so. covid yeah it kind of I, you know it's one of those things where i know it sounds like a bit harsh to say but you know when i was younger my parents if I'd been a naughty boy, they'd, they'd put me, they'd lock me in my room. Yeah. <laughs> and they let me just sort of like think about how badly I'd behaved. Yeah. But you know what? I felt in the right kind of way, COVID felt like a bit like that to me. It felt like for believers, it was like being sent to your room. It was kind of like we're in lockdown. Let's just think about how we've really behaved towards God. That's me included, you know, you know, particularly me, you know, think, you know, let's just think about, and it's not that God's doing this to punish us or smite us, but I think it, personally, I think regardless of what people's, what you might think of COVID, I still hold to the feeling of, for me, being locked in your room being a good way, but actually having time yeah. with God, where God's saying, look, I'm not locking you in your room to punish you. I want you to, to, to Gareth, learn I how think to it pray. Was like, it was like a forced sovereign sabbatical. It was, wasn't it? I loved it. John, it was, I mean, obviously I missed my friends and my parents and those close to me. You know, obviously that was rough, but it, I, did, I just, I didn't even turn the TV on in that time. Not because I was being all super holy, but I just felt that God was saying, leave the TV off. Don't watch the news. Don't entertain anything. Just pray, watch you know those these godly voices on the internet and youtube whatever read books and and i really felt that covid what it did particularly in that first lockdown it, it kind of pressed the reset button it exposed the cracks in the system particularly what i really noticed was a couple of things firstly there was the um how there was no prophetic voice coming out of the church leaders particularly so nationally or globally like i'm like right where are the prophets now like come on where's all, all these charismatic leaders where's the prophetic voice now telling us yeah. what god is saying in all this it was like absolute tumbleweed wasn't it yeah it was and then of course we had controversially but we had the, the dreadful events of george floyd but that then that then what came out of that was crt uh, and yeah. and intersectionality and all the kind of social social race wars that were going on and all of a sudden the church was being torn apart and and it was like we were sort of watching how the mainstream church was kind of taking a mauling wasn't it it was like the it mainstream was. church yeah, yeah. did not know what to do and the prophetic voices were going well essentially what's happening here is you're demonstrating how far you've wandered away from the gospel wow 
it was like there was a prof- I just felt there was so much because I used to I used to go on Zoom calls with my friends. We used to pray, you know, because we weren't allowed to see anyone. So we'd just be at, at like about five different prayer meetings a week on Zoom. <laughs> but my goodness, and we were all texting each other on WhatsApp. You know, there's there's a small group of us that were like, we're hungry to know what God is saying to us in this because what we see is so much pragmatism in our worship. I mean, I just want to read this quote from. A.W. Tozer, which I think astonishingly, uh, bearing in mind, this is from his book called The Root of the Righteous, and this was written in 1955. And Tozer says this, he says, for centuries, the church stood solidly against every form of worldly entertainment, recognizing it for what it was, a device for wasting time, a refuge from the disturbing voice of conscience, a scheme to divert attention from moral accountability. For this, she got herself abused roundly by the sons of this world but of late she has become tired of the abuse and given up the struggle she appears to have decided that if she cannot conquer the great god entertainment she may as well join forces with him and make what use she can of his powers so today we have the astonishing spectacle of millions of dollars being poured into the unholy job of providing earthly entertainment for the so-called sons of heaven Religious entertainment is in many places rapidly crowding out the serious things of God. Many churches these days have become little more than poor theatres where fifth-rate producers peddle their shoddy wares with the full approval of evangelical leaders who can even quote a holy text in defence of their delinquency and hardly a man dares raise his voice against it. And I really felt during the lockdown, this is where we'd got to, and I felt God was, even before the lockdown, beginning of 2020, end of 2019, I felt God was really speaking to me about pragmatism in the church. And when you start to... To challenge entertainment which I start I was at one point I was I started to challenge entertainment and I got such a backlash mm. like like really openly mocked for saying this is wrong and saying you know and, and a few prophetic voices were saying the same thing in the place where I was at the time and, and it was just kind of nobody wants to hear that we want to have our fun hardly anyone dares raise a voice against it says Tozer in 1955 I think we've started to see the lie of the land haven't we I think we have and when you when you look statistically at the church since covid i think was it in the u.s there was a survey done that showed that churches across the denominational lines had on average lost around 30 percent of their congregations and uh well wow, that, that hadn't come back and i think even with those congregations that um that didn't maybe see that level of loss there's been a change in in the kind of commitment of the congregation and the way that the congregation views church. And, you know, I think that entertainment thing has been on a slow creep for many years. And obviously the oh, kind of like the death of the Christian Sabbath when the, the shops were opened is things that really in our generation we weren't even aware of because we weren't, I wasn't around to remember when the shops were shut on a Sunday. And I don't yeah. remember that. But they were. There was a time when the Christian Sabbath was observed essentially by the nation, you know. And now things have changed so much that I think many Christians, we don't think twice about going to a football game on a Sunday and missing church. We don't think yeah. twice about going and visiting the family instead of coming together to worship. We don't think twice about getting some work done that we didn't get around to in the week, you know. And I think the worry is, particularly with the entertainment side for me, isn't it interesting that we are definitely living, Gareth, and listeners, we're living in the last days. I believe so, definitely. People look at you like you've 
go on crackers when you say that, right? But if the apostles could say, these are the last days we're living in, right? The, you know, these are the last times, then then how much more so now, 2,000 years later, right? These oh, are yeah. the last days that we're living in. These are the last moments before Christ comes and wraps it all up. We don't know exactly when. I don't know if I'll be alive to see that time, but I do know that it's coming and it's close. Now, one of the things that the Bible says is going to happen is that there's, there's going to be this character called the Antichrist that rises up before Christ returns. This is not going to yeah. be... Um, this is not going to be a religion. It's not going to be a thought or a philosophy. It's going to be an individual called the Antichrist who comes to prominence and power in the last days. And there are... There are many things that the book of Daniel has to say about this Antichrist figure. And in fact, there's a character, there's a, there's a world leader um, who was a foreshadowing of the end time Antichrist, a man called Antiochus Epiphanes. In our church, we did a series on Daniel. We talked about this, this man, Antiochus Epiphanes IV. And he was the seventh, I think, seventh or the ninth ruler, I forget which, it was an odd number, of the Seleucid Empire um, in Greece in around kind of like 175 BC. And this guy did dreadful things to yeah. the Jewish people. But one thing that he did before he murdered tons of them was that he built a a kind of a roman athletic stadium right next to the jewish temple on temple mount you imagine that now back in the day yeah wow athletics people running races and throwing discuses they did that naked <laughs> they didn't have clothes yeah, it's strange to imagine that so, so this was like kind of gratuitous carnality uh, the sensuality um, you know a spectacle an entertaining spectacle right there on the doorstep of the place of worship of almighty God right and and you know what many faithful Jews were drawn to attend these athletics meets instead of worshipping the living yeah. God now don't you think that this tide flow towards entertainment and away from faithful worship for Christians is a worrying thing, given that at some point the future Antichrist is going to rise up. And guess what? He is going to be great at giving out bread and circuses to the masses. Yeah. He is going to be like Commodus from Gladiator. He's going to know exactly how to tickle the masses and he's going to give them what they want he's going to give them entertainment he's going to give them carnality he's going to give them fun he's going to give them success he's going to give them peace all the things that their fleshly souls want and unfortunately the state that we're in now right right now in the uk church is a worry because if the antichrist were to arise now and offer those things how many that attend church every sunday would actually go brilliant this guy's great <laughs> yeah no 100 this, this is what's so really scary because honestly if if you're thinking to yourself and you, you know I, i'm really sorry I, I we can't go to church this sunday because little johnny's got to play in the under under nines or whatever this, this sunday playing football or whatever and, I, and this this happens all the time you have whole families that don't go to church because we've got some in, other important family event well really and i know it sounds harsh but it is true you're saying that your family's more important than god really aren't you you're prioritizing it, it is you know entertainment and things your family's doing over god the fact that i mean like nobody ever questions the fact that a church service is only an hour long 
like we've got to keep the church service an hour. I'm like, but it's the Lord's day, not the Lord's hour. You're going to spend longer having lunch. Like, <laughs> what, what? Really? Like, <laughs> you're going to sit down and watch, you know, Sky Sports, you know, Super Sunday for two hours, you know, watching a football match. And yet somehow an hour, you, you just want an hour in church. And the sermon, like bearing in mind, this is the bread of life. This is actually how you and I are going to know how to stand in the last days and, and are going to have wisdom uh, and, and salvation and knowledge of God. Oh, we want to keep it under 20 minutes. I did. You try and keep it to 15. You think to yourself, right, when you get to a point where you go to church and you just want the sermon to be 15 minutes, 20, I just think, you know what, just don't bother. Don't bother. No. I, that's my and this is just me speaking and if you, you know, don't you want take, the word of god it. just don't come to church but i just think don't bother if you don't if you haven't got a hunger for the word of god and you think that 15 20 minutes is is all that you're willing to listen to i just think well do you know what because the thing is it's like people will, people will turn around and say to me well graham you're a preacher of course you're going to say that of course you're going to have that opinion right you want people to sit and listen to you how arrogant right do you know what? I listen to over three, maybe four hours a week of sermons every Amen. week and have done Amen. for years, well before yep. I was a pastor, right? It isn't about trying to back up my profession, quote unquote. It's about whether an individual has a hunger to hear the word of God and have it expounded to them. Now, why do you need it expounded to you? Because this work is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of grace. Yeah. And he works through people to help us understand. I understand now yeah, I didn't maybe so much in my younger days, but I understand that I need help to understand the word of God. I need men and women who are brighter than I to help me to understand what's written in the scriptures, to help me with difficult passages and what have you. And that's why we come to hear the word preached, also to sit under the anointing, to sit under the power of God. You know, and yeah. so the, the, this it isn't that I'm saying this because I'm trying to bolster my position, uh, though, of course, as a fleshy man, I probably have some some kind of like unholy motives in there mixed in but the, the fact of the matter is i recognize my own need of this and i listen to yeah tons of sermons a week i've been listening to aw pink on the sovereignty of god i've been listening to martin lloyd jones preach through romans every week you know and i listen to keith malcolmson in, yeah. in his sermons on youtube because it feeds my soul and it prepares me as you say every day to walk with god because this walk isn't it's a daily thing, isn't it? Yeah. And, 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 and Pastor Graham, tell us, how long does uh, Keith Malcolmson preach for on an average but message? Pastor Keith never preaches less than an hour. An hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> an hour and 15 minutes. I will sit on the edge of my seat and listen to the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, he, mainly that's because he, he's an amazing preacher with he such is, prophetic, biblical preacher. gifting. But, but you're like, you're sat there like, I need this. And I don't care about anything else right now. I just need to sit and soak this up. This is this is this is like soul food. This is what I need. And I'm like, if, if you're at that point where you're like, you know, I just want to go to church. I, I, we're listening to a sermon that's like longer than the average church service. You know, and we listen to Keith Malcolmson. That is longer than the average. That's pathetic. That's what it is. It's pathetic. I'll say something as well. Now it's my turn to rant. But in, 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 in Nehemiah, when the exiles returned and Ezra read out the law, they stood there until it was too hot to stand there any longer. They would have been standing there for hours, hours and hours, listening, hours and hours, listening to Ezra reading out the law. All like, of it. Imagine, like, imagine. Yeah, just reading out the law, and 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 you're saying to me, "Oh well, fifteen minutes, you know, is, is all we want to sit." And this is this this is, I think going back to what you're saying that the state of the church that the church is in right now. Well, it's the loudest seat in I church, think, isn't it? It's the loudest seat yeah, in church. It, 
and we've been large. like this for quite some time. We've and the interesting thing is, you know, I heard all these people talking about, oh, we're like the exiles, you know, coming back from. No, we're not. No, we're not like the exiles <laughs> coming out of lockdown. Like, you know. It, we just went back to doing exactly what we did before only worse is actually like half the church attendance has come back it's true and a falling away is happening i really believe that i do i think i think that we're in a time of winnowing you know where the kind of like this is a yeah. constant theme of winnowing in the bible isn't there where where you know the kind of the the, the grain is beaten from the chaff and i think it's quite a severe metaphor but i think that's what we're in right now and i think that the the puffed up kind of flabby church that we had pre-lockdown is being shaken down and i think out of it is going to come a remnant and it might not happen immediately it might not happen even in the next year or two but it's going to happen and i think the church is going to be skinnied down and that you know the faithful churches that emerge they are going to be smaller but they are going to be more fiery they're going to be more faithful Uh, they're going to be more committed and they're going to care more about serving the Lord than they are about serving the world. And I think they're going to be equipped for the last days. And so that, that's what I see on a prophetic level. Um, I don't know that it's going to happen rapidly. But then again, you never know. We never saw no, COVID coming. We never saw the no, lockdowns coming. You know? And I think the reason is like, and we, we say this quite a bit, but the reason why we do this podcast is actually genuinely because we love the church. We love the true Absolutely. remnant and we want to, to encourage and build up and, and actually show our frustrations, which probably match up with yours. If you know, if you're listening to this, you're probably thinking, oh, that's, I also think that. And, and it's to encourage you, but also to, we want to build up the remnant. We want to, because we recognize that things are not going well in the church now. I mean, I remember reading a book by J.I. Packer talking talking about the the heritage of Anglican theology. And in that book, that these were taken from lectures that he'd given Mm. during his time. A great book and and great lectures. But back then, he was talking about the mainstream as being the safe place to be. And I thought, wow, you can tell how things have changed since (laughs) those lectures were delivered in Canada or wherever he was at the time when he was giving those lectures to students. The mainstream is polluted. We're now in the side streams. But that's it. It's shifted out of the mainstream completely. It's, It's like, you know how often do you go into a church these days and, and hear about the atonement you exactly don't, you don't hear about it right you hear no. about how to be a powerful believer how to walk in the fire or whatever <laughs> you know yeah uh, how to interpret dreams but people don't know how to get saved right how do like, i be saved how, how do, do i become get a christian who is god right who is god and who am I to him? We don't hear about these things so much. And I think, you know, sometimes you might be listening and thinking, well, you guys are just having a good old whinge. Well, yeah, we are. Well, yeah, we, we are. are. <laughs> we are. And do you know what? You should be too. You should yeah. be too. Because uh, pe- I'm in. sorry, it's lamentable. And and the fact that people will have a good old whinge at us and say, oh, you're just being so miserable. You should, you should just be supporting and encouraging all the good work of the church and you know you shouldn't be so bothered about all this doctrine stuff and it's a bit kind of high and mighty and over people's heads you know what the book of romans was written to normal christians boom normal christians right Mike it wasn't drop. written to scholars in ivory towers it wasn't written to other apostles it was written to normal christians in rome but you know what he talks about the gospel and he breaks it down he preaches the gospel over eight nine ten chapters right and he talks about election he talks about reprobation 
He talks yeah. about salvation through faith alone. He talks about the righteousness of God. He talks about the abject sinfulness of man. All these doctrines are in there. And yet we somehow think today, in a day and age when we have the iPhone and electric cars, that poor people can't put up with this level of doctrine. Come off it. Come off it, please. You know, and Romans would have been read in one go as well. In one go, Oof. exactly. Yeah. Oof. You know, I'm sorry, Paul. Can you send one chapter at a time, please? <laughs> you know, like Timothy was a young man over sixteen. He was a weeks young or... man, and Paul's writing to him and talking to him about doctrine. So, you know, come off it. Somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit of God can understand these things they can be blessed by these doctrines and we must return to them and stop treating people in our churches or people we're in fellowship with like they're spiritual babies they've got to move off of the milk and onto solid food at some stage yeah no, i think so and i think so. i was just thinking of that verse where Paul warns Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 4 and he I've says got it open right here the, yeah yeah for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths and and that's exactly what we're seeing happening right now yeah. isn't it really speculation myth you know subjective revelations and i've got a place for I've, we we have a place for, we're charismatics we yeah. believe for god Absolutely to give right. you dreams that you know speak prophetically into your situation we believe Amen. that god has given each one of you an individual calling that he's bringing to fulfillment in your lives we believe all this stuff we believe in words of knowledge you know prophetic words but at the same time you know your sustenance when in the corporate gathering isn't to be somebody's subjective visions it's not to be somebody's vision for the church please find me a book in the bible where paul says to timothy or any of his disciples you know what what you what you're failing in timothy is you haven't articulated the church vision well enough you haven't cast your vision properly you haven't got people on board with your vision sorry what if chapter it, verse is that in sorry about that can't find what does can't he actually find say it. to him i charge you in the presence of god and of christ jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom preach the word be ready yep. in season and out of season reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching now listen to that what does he command him preach the word not a word not your word but definite article hologos the, the word okay this is the word of god this is not your subjective revelation that's what people will live off you know and yeah. i think that's what we need to move back to and it's what we need to as christians begin to expect okay that's the key thing you might not be a pastor you might not be somebody involved in church leadership but your expectation needs to change your expectation needs to be i come to church i gather with my fellow saints to hear the word preached and if i'm not hearing the word preached then i'm not going to be in that fellowship because as a sheep that's the food i need our expectations have got to shift they've got to change yeah i think that's i mean as we as we sort of come to a close that's sort of the last thing we want to think about is having listened to this you're probably thinking well maybe you are in a good church and praise god if you are hallelujah but maybe 
you, maybe you're in a church that you're thinking, well, actually, it's not really a church. It's just sort of like a bit of a social club that meets on a Sunday or yeah. or whatever. And, and you're thinking, well, how do I find a good church fellowship? Well, I would say... Um, Word of mouth, um, maybe, you know, look at some of the churches locally, um, listen to some sermons, go to visit. Um, one of the things you want to do is is to, as I think it's Spurgeon who said, do not go to the church that is nearest to your house, but to the one that teaches the Bible. And so I think it's really important that, that the main thing is actually the preaching and teaching. Uh, absolutely not against good song worship. I love good song worship, as, as, as you do. As we, we love good song worship, but yeah. not at the expense of good teaching. No. Please don't fall for this. Oh, well, the singing, uh, they've got a really good band and the worship's really good. The, the preaching's rubbish. And listen, don't and look, co- when you say good preaching, Gareth's not saying look for somebody who's charismatic. He's not saying no. look for somebody who's a good orator. It's... And does this person actually preach the word? Right? Are they it, faithful? Are they faithful? Are they faith? Do they expound the word? Do they? Does the preacher tell you to open the Bible when he starts speaking? Does he expound it, or does he just tell stories? And I, by the way, I'm not against. Uh, we're not against analogies or using you know a story to make a point. But generally speaking, a good t- t- preacher won't be standing up there telling story after story. He's going to be expounding the Bible, and. Is the sermon a decent length? I mean, let's just say at the very least 25 minutes, 40, 45 minutes. I mean, not that the length is massively important, but if it's just a short, brief kind of homily, that's not actually giving the Bible the, the, the treatment it deserves. It should, it's the word of God. It needs to be no, taught. And in these days, we need that level of equipping. I, I believe yeah. that we're living in times where you can't be sustained by 15, 20 minute preaches on a Sunday. Not at all. Especially if you're not, not at all. If you're not complementing that with another, you know, couple of sermons in the week, it's not nearly good enough. It's not. And like I say, it should be, I would say at least, I'd say like half an hour, really. Half, half an, an hour, hour, 45 yeah. minutes, really. And, and I know some places... You know, it's shorter, but I think that's the main thing. You want a place where they preach for a proper amount of time. And do you feel challenged uh, and convicted and encouraged from hearing the preach message? You know, I often think if I cut myself and I get some TCP and I put it on the wound, I want it to sting a bit to know that it's healing it before I put a plaster on. You know, it's like that. When I'm sat listening to a preacher, I'm like, oh, I want this to sting. You know, I want to, I want to feel it doing something inside. Yeah. You know, and I think, and you know, that's not like spiritual self-harm. That's like we should actually want to be convicted of sin. We should want to be encouraged and convicted of our unbelief and lack of faith. It's not just like I'm sitting there feeling morally guilty, but I feel challenged that, oh, come on, you need to have more yeah, called, faith. You need to, to, trust, to, to trust. Called to holiness, yeah, brother. Called to faithfulness and holiness and, and respond to that mm. and to feel encouraged that, that that in the sovereignty of God as well, to think that actually, you know, God's got a plan and and. For his, for his great glory and for, and for your good and he's going to bring you through the trial you're in but ultimately to his glory and the, whether it's challenge or encouragement conviction that the preaching you come away feeling like you've really heard from God I remember Graham, when we used to go to St. All Dates in Oxford, yeah, I remember yeah. so so often walking away feeling like I really had met with God in the preaching. Hundred percent, you would feel that you'd feel the power of God, you'd feel the presence of God, and these were men who were committed to living out these things. These were men of integrity. Yeah. Um, you know, Charlie Cleverly, Simon Ponsonby, uh, Ponsonby, sorry, Anita. Uh, these were men and women who were committed to the truth of what they preached yeah. and they'd be there at the student gathering on a Thursday night doing the same and I remember you know being prayed for by them they they took the time 
to really disciple. So I think that's another thing to look for is, is like, are these loving people who, yeah. um, who love you not for what they can get from you, but simply because they, they want the best for you, you know, um, that would be something I, I would look for. Um, yeah. Somebody who's faithful, somebody who's loving, somebody who's not in it for what they can get from it. Um, it would be, would be really important. Yeah. So I mean, that, I mean, that's the thing. I, I, I think would the really final thing as well to... would just be to say, you know, you're not there to be a spectator. And I think in no. many churches now, you've been boiled down to being part of the audience. You know, I think somebody said this the other day is, is like, what does the message send when you see the lights go up on the platform and the lights go down in the congregation? It's to tell you that you're not yeah. part of the congregation. You are an audience member. And yeah, I think yeah. that is something I feel really convicted on is that if you come to a church service and you're a spectator, then that's not that's not really a good sign. You know, are the places not that you're being given to serve, are you being allowed to minister? Are you being allowed to bring your giftings? Are you being discipled? Are you part of a community that's really moving towards Christ um, and holiness? So that would be the final thing I'd say. Absolutely right. And yeah, uh, I'll second that. And really just to say that, you know, if if you're struggling to find a church i'd say one of the things you can do as well go online look on the federation of independent evangelical churches um and you can't you'll find good bible teaching churches there many of them won't be particularly charismatic but if you struggle, you want to find somewhere that you can just go and listen to good bible teaching and, and you that that's a good place to go whilst you're trying to find somewhere i do think as you know just as we come to a close i do think that we are moving in towards that time where i think we're going to end up in much smaller gatherings anyway and i think it's going to be more about discipleship and fellowship is going to become much more focused and it's not going to be centralized it's going to be i think much more fragmented but the most important thing is that we we do not uh, forsake the gathering together as many is in the no. habit of doing no, but absolutely. but keep to, but keep meeting whilst we wait for the day out to approach and we think that that day is obviously Hebrews ten twenty four is talking about the Lord's return yeah. and what a prophetic word that is for our time oh yeah it's on the way it's on the way yeah well listen we thank you for for listening in again we really appreciate those of you who who take the time to to listen to this podcast we're grateful to god for all that uh, and anything that he does through it we're so blessed and so um if you've enjoyed the podcast yeah please do give us a rating it helps others to hear it um, write a little review if you've you've been encouraged uh, and inspired by it um you know if you feel negatively about it send us an email uh, <laughs> but uh, otherwise listen um, be blessed and uh, we hope this has been of encouragement to you uh, we really do and we'll be back again soon with something else tasty to talk about so so until <laughs> next time god bless you all take care god bless <laughs>